Welcome to another episode of Strategize to Succeed, selectively applying the strategies which we discuss each week will help you as you progress from conditions to opportunities to successes. Over the past year, during a period of international chaos, the word pivot suddenly took on a perhaps disproportionate significance in our lives. Essentially, whatever we had been doing needed to change. It needed to change quickly and sharply and with no estimated expiration date. Now, the Merriam-Webster description of a pivot seems to take two forms. The first definition is a shaft or pin which functions as an anchor while something attached to it turns. The second definition seems to be an expansion of the first. However, it's based on basketball. The definition describes the situation in which a player seeks to change position or direction while keeping one foot in contact with the floor. In both cases, the implication is some type of directional change, while at the same time holding firmly on to one spot as an anchor. If the purpose of a pivot is to bring about a sudden change of direction, it would seem that being attached by a figurative anchor would pose an encumbrance and a possible hindrance to progress. However, there is an alternative operational meaning to the concept of the pivot, and that is the type of pivot undertaken by entrepreneurs. This application of the pivot has been the subject of significant research and writing by Jacqueline Jacks Kirtley, an assistant professor of entrepreneurship at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. She credits Eric Reese and Steve Blanks for first applying the word pivot in an entrepreneurial context called the Lean Startup Movement. Within the subject of entrepreneurship, a predominant factor regularly faced is uncertainty. In that environment, according to Kirtley, Specific theories are created with scientific precision to test the validity of proposed strategies. This approach gives the entrepreneur the opportunity to explore alternatives without the pressure of responding under emergency conditions. If the proposition does not meet the standards being empirically tested, then it is time to move on to evaluate a different strategy. It is at the moment when the entrepreneur discards one strategy and sets up rigorous tests for the next strategy that the term pivot applies. A pivot references precise formulated testing of strategic theories being scientifically tested. For the entrepreneur, there is nothing haphazard or spontaneous about a pivot. In fact, just the opposite. Within entrepreneurship, a pivot is an intentional, predetermined revision of a strategy which has been subjected to specific testing and review. As Kirtley terms it, a pivot represents a scientific method of hypothesis-driven entrepreneurship. Kirtley continues on by noting that a pivot, in response to entrepreneurial uncertainty, can, but is not required, 
to be a response to a significant change in circumstances. A pivot may also be an addition or deletion to adjust strategy to correspond to changing beliefs. And the point which I found most significant was that according to Kirtley, it is not the recognition of a problem which tends to be the most important reason for change. A pivot is more frequently undertaken in the world of entrepreneurship in response to recognizing an opportunity and wanting to respond to that as the basis for change. Essentially, it becomes a desire to move towards something rather than as a protective measure to move away from negative conditions. Throughout history, a clear recognition emerges by entrepreneurs that uncertainty and risk, which also happen to be integral components of chaos, could really be de facto synonyms for opportunity. One area in which risk and opportunity have joined forces historically has been in the treatment of customers. And because it had been an unregulated arena, merchants were able not only to pivot and make short directional adjustments, they had the unabashed flexibility to reconsider and reconfigure customer relationships in their entirety. For centuries, the universal attitude towards customer relations was described by the saying, let the buyer beware. Any dealings which a customer had with a merchant were at the customer's own risk. The presumption was that the merchant operated in a less than honorable manner and that if anything did go wrong, it was likely that the customer could expect no recourse. However, by the beginning of the 20th century, there were three merchants who all seemed to have arrived at the same conclusion at roughly the same time. Marshall Field, Harry Selfridge, and John Wanamaker were all born within 25 years of each other. Each aggressively sought to establish himself as the preeminent merchant in his area. Field in Chicago, Wanamaker in Philadelphia, and Selfridge in London. Independently, each man recognized that the treatment of the customer was the new key to creating customer loyalty and therefore enhancing business. As a result, it became necessary to shift the perspective to elevate the attention and priority given to the customer, as well as recognize that the customer's satisfaction was paramount. If a customer was not satisfied with the quality of a product purchased, it was replaced immediately and without discussion. If there was a dispute between a customer and a sales clerk, the clerks had all been instructed to resolve such disagreements promptly and in favor of the customer. Once the standard of behavior became recognized as the norm for these particular shops, the reputation and esteem in which they were held consistently grew, expanding their customer focus and goodwill to almost legendary status. As competition increased, the standard of the customer 
always being right, continued to take hold as a merchandising tool to gain and retain customers, whether at the local general store or Sears Roebuck. This approach also gathered strength worldwide and expanded beyond retail establishments. One of the earliest to give credence to the power of the customer was César Ritz of Switzerland, who founded the Ritz-Carlton Hotels. Variations on statements as to the undisputed power of customers quickly crossed geographical boundaries with examples of both a customer-driven philosophy and accompanying consumer protection laws found in Japan, Italy, Spain, and Germany. Today, barely a hundred years later, in response to the chaos created by the pandemic, the many resulting uncertainties are again impacting the customer relationship and perhaps moving to new opportunities. At the outset, it is important to recognize that as a result of the pandemic, much if not most shopping is being done online rather than in person. This means that often there is no personal interaction with a human being unless something goes terribly wrong with the automated experience. However, there really are still many transactions which embrace a combination of telephone and in-person interactions, whether to complete the purchase or even just to enjoy the experience. And these will likely increase in quantity as the hazards of the pandemic lessen. Throughout this past year, it seems that priorities and standards for civilized interactions and engagements have changed, and, with some exceptions, the results have been for the better. Prior to the pandemic, the notion of the customer always being right seemed to have evolved, at least in the customer's mind, to not only a theory, but elevated to a moral imperative. There was little, if any, room for negotiating away from that standard, regardless of the correctness or lack thereof of the customer's position. Furthermore, the customer held new weapons over the seller's head. Yelp, Twitter, and other online rating and opinion sites have opened the door for a barrage of customer opinions and the possibility of slanted perspectives. One of the effects of the pandemic seems to be a slight shift in approaches. Initially, government mandates as to physical standards of behavior resulted in greater concern and respect for employees, both out of respect and caring to keep them healthy and safe, and then to keep the jobs filled. The physical precautions also seem to level the playing field between the sellers and the customers. The customers who often had forgotten that employees were entitled to commensurate respect have been learning the skill of sensitivity. And the highly popularized concept of authenticity now seems to encourage added communications and respect. Is this a new pivot in which the pendulum has swung back from the extreme to a more centrist base point? Or once the pandemic is declared over, will everyone return to their previous behavior, 
forgetting any lessons which may have been learned along the way. Frankly, I believe that there are valuable lessons to be applied on both sides of the customer service issue. As an example of unjustified mishandling of a customer issue, several months prior to the pandemic, I was incorrectly accused of damaging a rental car by Enterprise, a large family-owned company. I produced all of the documents and timestamp information which validated my position and supported my innocence without question. Through this process, I made repeated attempts to speak with someone in authority, and I wrote and sent documented letters to the three family members in charge. Although it is now approaching two years, I have never received a proper customer service response, much less a basic acknowledgement of the error created by Enterprise. Instead, I was ignored, my situation was mishandled, and I never received even a minimally acceptable standard of treatment. Not only did Enterprise fail to adequately communicate with a long-standing customer, but by virtue of their inept and negligent handling of the situation, they somehow managed to diminish any existing goodwill and make an unfortunate set of circumstances even worse. By the way, I did not use Yelp, Twitter, or any other outlet to share my views. This is the first time which I have mentioned Enterprise and their inappropriate attitude towards me as a customer. However, I doubt that the effects of the pandemic on customer service will have any positive impact on their behavior. So again, I ask, what priority is being given to the customer today? Has it evolved, changed, been enhanced, or diminished? In the United States, legislation guides the treatment of customers, but both the Federal Trade Commission and the Better Business Bureau have advocated that while standards of business conduct exist, it's still best that the buyer beware, especially, of course, when using an online resource. The notion that the customer has an absolute expectation of always being right strikes me as unrealistic. Ultimately, it was probably first incorporated into the retail and hospitality experiences with the thought of being a marketing ploy, rather than as an ongoing policy decision if taken to the extreme. In other relationships in life, unless our ego has exceeded all bounds of reality, there is no fundamental expectation or belief that each of us is always correct. And frankly, that standard of ultimate correctness would be difficult to accept in every set of circumstances. However, there is a pivot which has evolved as a result of the logistics occurring during the pandemic. This new standard recognizes that while every customer may not be regarded as being assumed to be correct, the customer does have an absolute right to be treated with respect and to be heard, so that an equitable accommodation can be reached. Such a moderate position, applying a flexible attitude, may be easier to accommodate and more sustainable over the long term. Conversely, the seller has the right to make clear in advance of any transaction their guidelines for treating customers 
in response to varying situations. The seller and the customer will always need each other. That is the very nature of the relationship. And applying a flexible attitude can extend the options available to both, while on occasion taking a pivot can limit either side's options. If both sides of any commercial transaction engage in respectful communications in a non-adversarial demeanor, it would seem a healthy midpoint to maintain a working customer relations dynamic and more viable than either extreme which has taken precedence throughout history. Thank you for sharing your time today. Remember your application of strategic decision-making approaches can result in more beneficial outcomes for you, both professionally and personally. Why not turn that process into your opportunity?